Well, hello again. It's a joy to be with you once again, and I pray that you will allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you, and I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will use me to speak to you. It's good to be with you once again. And we're here just a week away from Easter, and and uh, we're going to uh, talk a little bit about why a body to suffer and to die. You know, it's what scripture is true when it says, our ways are not God's ways and God's ways are not our ways, but his ways are far above ours. We would have never come up with such a plan for redemption or salvation like God has. We would have maybe just came with a much easier, simpler plan maybe. Uh, and the only thing I could think of is that we'll divide the good, put the good over here and put the bad over here and the bad go to hell and the good go to heaven. The problem is uh, going to heaven is not based on goodness, it's based on a belief in Jesus Christ. It has nothing to do with how good we are. And I'm not trying to say after we accept the Lord, we don't learn how to do good things, but in and of ourself, there's nothing good in us, according to Romans. So we couldn't use the idea of just being good would get me to heaven. Those A lot of people today still believe that they're just good enough. God will accept them into his kingdom. And uh, Satan has somehow deceived us in that area of just being good. But it's all by the work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we want to pray and we want to look at that and we want to challenge your heart and your mind to see God's plan and why God gave him a body, why God allowed him to suffer and to die. So let's pray. Father, we want to thank you and praise you, Lord, for another day that you've granted unto us. And thank you, Lord, for opening your word unto us. And we pray that your Holy Spirit might guide us and order our steps. And that, Lord, that we might have a mind to receive, a heart that is willing to perform, and that, Lord, we're willing to be men and women who run after our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because we understand what he has undertook for us. It is his mighty work, and no one else could have done it. No one else could have carried the weight, the load, the sin that he carried from us. No one else could have given us peace with God and the peace of God. No one else could have done what Jesus Christ has performed for everyone who believes in him. So, Lord, as we go through Isaiah 53, and hopefully, Lord, we can get through the first five verses, that, Lord, 
You will show us, Lord, the work that you put upon our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to perform for each and every one of us. Help us to have ears to hear and a heart, O God, ready to receive and to perform in such a manner that is pleasing unto you. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. The Gospel. The Gospel really wasn't known, per se, in the Old Testament, as it is in the New Testament. And oftentimes we say the Gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection. And I'd like to add another one in that is is there that is not even stated, but it's the life of Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection. The life is understood because you could not have death without life. So it's assumed that it's understood. But Isaiah is going to speak in Isaiah 53. And Isaiah starts off basically with two questions that he's asking the Lord. And the Lord has already spoken to Isaiah. But Isaiah is not quite getting it, I don't think. And it's not that he's not understanding it. It's just that it's one of these messages that I'm being asked to deliver that in a human perspective is not reasonable to believe. And you're asking me to take this message. Have somebody ever told you, go tell so-and-so this, this, or that? And in your mind, it's not rational. It's just unbelievable. It's one of those things that just can't happen or it just don't make sense. I believe this is where Isaiah is at. And why he asked in the two questions in verse 1. But remember, Isaiah is also the one who was told that the Messiah would come through a virgin. Now, that's hard enough to believe that here one would be born of a virgin and Isaiah has to take that message and share it. And that whole thing is that Isaiah is saying again, Lord, you're having me give another report that's going to be very difficult for men to believe. And that's correct. It's going to be very difficult for men to believe. So in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, he said, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. And he will be called Emmanuel. Lord, you want me to go share a message that a virgin is going to have a child, but she's a virgin, but yet she's going to give birth uh, without any intimacy with man or uh, uh, not a husband, uh, uh, but just a virgin is just going to come up pregnant. Yes, that's the message I want you to give, Isaiah. And then 
over in 53, we're going to catch that God is going to ask Isaiah to give another report. He calls it the report. Oftentimes we call it the gospel or part of the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But Isaiah calls it a report or a message. And he's going to deliver that to man, but Isaiah is delivering it in a time that faith is not very expedient among men. It is a time in which faith is not really being exercised or being used much. And here is something that is going to take faith. And it takes faith today to believe that one man died for your sin and my sin, that we might have a right to the tree of life and that we might be able to attain heaven. That's a little difficult for a lot of people to grab hold of, but that's the truth. That's the truth. Jesus Christ came, lived a life, died that we might have life, went into the grave to go to preach to the Old Testament saints that all that was promised to them has now come to pass, came forth from the grave that we might truly know that we are serving a risen Savior. And now sits at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. Boy, that's a lot to try to grasp and to believe. But it's all believed by faith. And that's the question that Isaiah is dealing with. Do my people have the ability to believe this message that you're going to have me share with them? Do people today have the ability or the faith to believe the gospel as you share it with them? And the only one who knows that is God. God is the only one who knows how a person will respond to the gospel. We're not responsible to save anybody. We can't save anybody. You and I, we are responsible to deliver the message that God has given unto us. And we then are a witness of that message and the power of that message and what it is able to perform and do if one is willing to believe it. So in Isaiah 53 and verse 1, he basically starts off, he says, Who has believed our message? Or who will believe our message? Uh, uh, You're asking me to deliver a message that's going to be quite difficult for men to accept that one man dies for the whole world, that the whole world might be forgiven of sin, that one man has the authority and the power to give us eternal life by what he has performed on our behalf. 
that place up here. And yet Isaiah is told, share this message. And Isaiah says, who will believe such a message? And then the second question is this. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And the arm is that divine power of God that somehow reveals this truth to man. We witness, but God is the revealer of the truth. God has to reveal to man that this is his word. This is his message. Now understand this. This is not Isaiah's message. This is not something Isaiah cooked up. This is not something Isaiah came up and asked Israel to believe. No, this is a report from God, a message from God. This is what God would have Isaiah say to Israel. And Isaiah is saying, who's going to believe this? And you and I, oftentimes, sometimes before we witness or before we share, we're asking the same question. God, who's going to believe this? What you've done in my life, who's going to believe this? People are just going to think I'm just making it up. But who's going to believe this? When my son was about between 18 and 24 months, he had cocoa meningitis and he was at Children's Hospital. And uh, we were a little fearful that he wasn't going to make it. And my wife and I, we prayed that night and God gave us a promise that uh, this sickness was not unto death. We believed that. And uh, we went into the hospital the next day to see him. And uh, he woke up out of a coma. He looked at his mom and he said, hi, mom, and went right back into the coma. Now, who would believe that? But it gave assurance to Elaine and myself that we were there, not so much for Gus, but to begin to witness to the nurses, to the other patients and parents. God even took us to Chicago to witness there in Chicago at Children's Memorial Hospital. Uh, I, I mean, God just did some miraculous things in our life at that time. And, and, and sometimes I'm saying, who would believe this? Who would believe this? If you give God a chance in your life with his message, you'll be questioning too. Who will believe this? But somebody's going to believe it. Why? Because God's going to reveal it. God is the one who has to reveal his truth. And that's the two questions there that Isaiah asks. Who has believed our message or who's going to believe our message? And then he says the second question, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Who is this powerful divine arm of God? How is that going to be revealed? And only God is able to reveal his truth. And you and I today, we have to come to that place that we understand that. Truth is only revealed by the living God. Period. And then as you begin to get into verse 2, 
He says, then, he grew up before him like a tender shoot. Jesus grew up just like any other young man. This all-seeing God never lost sight of his son. As he grew up before man, he also grew up before God, his heavenly father. And it says he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of a dry ground. There was no real nourishment there for him. But he grew up. Now, how is an all-knowing God who clothes himself in a human body, a body of a child, function like a child, rather than a living God. And he says, he grew up like a root out of a dry ground. There was nothing there to feed him, to nourish him in a sense. It was dry. There was nothing that humanity could add to him or give to him. But he had come to give to humanity. There's nothing man could do for him, but he came to do for us. He came to serve us. And it says he grew up, and God watched him grow, just like he watches you and I grow. You don't have to be born again for God to see you growing. God doesn't miss a beat. God sees us every day. Every place we go, every word we speak, boy, that's hard to grasp up here. But that's this all-knowing God who we serve. He never slumbers nor sleeps, the psalmist tells us. And he grows up like a tender shoot and like a root out of a dry ground. And listen to the rest of it here. It says, he has no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. There was nothing really special about him. He was very common. He was the ordinary guy. Um, he was not a very handsome, handsome guy, but he was not an ugly, ugly individual either. Uh, there was nothing about him that would draw special attention to him. He wasn't here to show off. He wasn't here to be in the limelight, in a sense. He was here to perform the work that the Father had given unto him. And so scripture tells us he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that he would, that we should desire him, that would just draw us to him. He was not like a his own human features. There was nothing very special. There was no halo around his head as a child. Sometimes as we see in pictures and so forth, we see this little halo-like or light around to be able to point out that this is the Lord Jesus Christ as a child or as a man. No, uh, he didn't walk around with a halo on. He was a very common individual. 
yet knowing all things even as a child. He never stopped being God even though he was in a human body. And that's another issue that really troubles us. How could this be? And it could only be by the will of a living God who is able to perform such a task. Go with me to Luke chapter 2 for a moment. Because Luke chapter 2 tells us that he did grow up in the sight of man and God. So go to Luke chapter 2 and verse 52. And it says, And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. Now, he is made wisdom for us, what First Corinthians tells us in chapter 2, that Jesus Christ was made wisdom for us. And here is, in a sense, the same that he grew in wisdom. Well, he grew in the wisdom and knowledge of men. He also learned from man. He's God. He knows all. But he didn't come here showing off that he already knew everything. You give us a little bit of knowledge. You give us some uh, 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 learning that our professors haven't had. And boy, we are sitting in that class and we'll try to take over the class based on the fact of what we think we know more than the professor knows. That was not Jesus. Jesus was able to yet learn from men. And it says that he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Both were watching. Both God and man were watching Jesus grow. And that becomes a little difficult for us because when it comes on this human side, we know how we would act if we had all knowledge. But Jesus didn't need to show off. Jesus didn't need to prove that he was this or that. He knew who he was. He knew that he was God Almighty. He knew that he was the Son of God. He never lost that. But in order to do what the Father's will was for him to do in order to redeem man, this human body became necessary in order to have something to place the sin upon and the punishment of man upon. So he tells us there that there's nothing special about him. There was no halo to show him. There was no uh, beauty that really pointed him out. As God's son, he was very common. Very common. And in verse 3, it gives us a little bit more now. It says, he was despised. He was despised and rejected by men. Boy. For what he taught, how he lived, what he shared, he was going to be rejected over the message that he was going to give. And those that he would come against, or those who would come against him, 
and despised him and tried to tear him down and to not accept him as the Son of God. So the religious world of that day when Christ was born and grew up and started into his ministry, the religious group of that day would not accept him. Sometime I ask that question today. If Jesus was come today, would the religious group recognize him? Would we be able to accept him? The Pharisees, the Sadducees, and many others, the Romans, the Samaritans, rejected. The average Jew rejected. He says he was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows, that was him. Even while he was ministering to others, we see that he takes on, in a sense, the pain and the hurt of others. When you give ear to people, in one sense, as you are following them in conversation, and they're sharing with you of their hurts and pains in life and what's going on in their life, When you internalize that, it weighs on you. It weighs on you. And it has to be internalized in order to really understand what the other person is going through who is sharing the sorrows with you. And it says, a man of sorrows. Not of his own sorrows, but our sorrows, our stories, our sins, our failures. And familiar with suffering. When you really begin to minister to people, you yourself, will become very familiar with suffering. Because there's going to be a denying of yourself. There's going to be putting your own pleasures and joys to the side that you might minister to others and you might be able to help others. And he says, boy, familiar with suffering. Not only their suffering, but his own suffering that he's yet going to go through for our sin. But that's because of the love he has for us, that he's willing to suffer for us. Until you are willing to suffer for someone, you really don't love them. It's in the love that you bear under the suffering that that individual might discover the good that God has for them. And he bears under the suffering in a sense that we caused him. You caused him. I caused him. He bears under that. 
as he continues to share the message of his father. And as he's on his way to the cross, he's carrying all this with him to the cross. And it says he was despised and rejected by men. Go to St. John chapter 1 and go through verses 10 and 11 with me. And and listen to what it says. He says in St. John chapter 1, verse 10, He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world was what? Made through him, by him. Everything we enjoy was created by him. The world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, which were the Jewish, the Jewish people. Jesus was Jewish, but his own did not receive him. They rejected him. They despised him. They would not believe his message, many of them. Praise God that many did. Praise God that all the apostles were Jewish. They believed. Praise God for all the Jewish women who believed. Praise God for the thousands that followed and the 5,000 he fed and the 4,000. We don't know how many of those believed, but yet they listened. They heard the message that he was sharing with them. But his own did not receive him. His own religious group that was supposed to be teaching about the coming of the Messiah, the ones who were supposed to be teaching this Old Testament, and that's what weighs on my heart today. Are we really teaching truth? Are we really teaching that people are looking for the second coming of Christ? Are we really teaching that in such a way people are excited about a Savior who gave his life for them? And they, in turn, are willing to live a life for him. That is something to think about now. And and he says, He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Praise God for the many who didn't hear and receive and there's the strong arm of God and there's the revealing of God to those who received that truth God revealed it and Isaiah says and to whom has the arm of the Lord that mighty arm of God that powerful arm of God been revealed Have you seen the mighty arm of God in your life? Have you seen God work somehow in your life? Have you felt the pulling of God, the tugging of God on your life? Have you seen something happen in your life that can only be explained by saying, God did it? Or do you put the word luck on it? There is no luck in the Christian life. God has my life. 
planned out. He's ordered my steps. And I praise God for that. And again, he says, he was despised and rejected by men, as we just read in John. Boy, he came into this world, but the world rejected him. Created, he created it, but yet we did not know him. And he goes on, he says, like one from whom men hide their faces. Men today are still hiding from Jesus. They're not willing to hear truth or accept truth. But they're willing to hide from the one who can set them free from their sin. All because back up to what Isaiah says in verse 1. Who will believe this message, Lord? That one would come and suffer for their sins and die for them. Who would believe that? Who would believe that this one person would come and take on all the sorrows and all the suffering of humanity upon himself? Who would believe that? And men hide their faces from him. Revelation talks about those who will hide too because they will ask that the rocks fall down upon them that they would not have to see Jesus. Are you in such a state that you really don't want to see the Lord? Do you live in such a way that you deny him constantly? Do you close your eyes to him? Do you close your eyes to truth? Do you plug your ears that you won't hear truth? Do you try to muzzle the mouth of those who will speak truth to you? See, men do a lot of things to try to hide from the truth and keep the truth from penetrating their heart. Because the word of God is like a two-edged sword. It does really cut. And you have to realize that God wants you to know truth because only truth will set you free from the bondage of your sin. The truth of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done for you. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. We didn't lift him up. We didn't glorify him. And there are many today who will not lift him up or glorify him. And and the shameful part of this is that there are many who say that they're saved who will not lift up the Savior. Who will not glorify him with their lives. They live totally in a contrary way as though they were dead in their trespasses and sin and have never been made alive in Jesus Christ. And they do not acknowledge him in such a way that it lifts him up. That they esteem him for who he is and for what he's done. And you and I 
we need to understand that, yes, what he took from us and placed on himself, and that's what basically takes place at Calvary. He takes our sins and places them, in a sense, on himself. He carries our grief and all of our infirmities, all of our sorrow, all of our pains, our brokenness to Calvary. He takes it there. And nobody makes him do that. He does it freely and willingly that we might have peace with the Father. He tells us in Matthew eleven twenty-eight and 30 to exchange the burdens, to cast all of our cares upon him, for he cares for us. Do you realize that Christ loves you? Do you realize that Christ has paid the debt for your sin? Do you understand that you do not have to feel guilty or shameful for what you have done in the past? That you can come to Jesus Christ and ask him to become Lord of your life and ask him to forgive you. And he'll put your sins as far as the east is from the west. He'll put them in the deepest ocean to remember them no more. And he gives you new life that you can move on. He does that. And Isaiah says, who's going to believe this message? Who's going to believe that Jesus will do this for me. And in verse 4, he comes to that place and he's going to make this statement. He says, surely he took our infirmities. That's a, a statement of faith for us. Do you believe God has taken your infirmities? And carried our sorrows. Yet we consider him stricken by God. Let's do the. Let's take this a little slow here. Surely he took our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Christ himself. Decided to bear under. And and lift our sorrows, our infirmities, our iniquities, our sins, off of us and put them on himself. It's not just that he just takes them away. No. He comes alongside of us. He gets under it with us, takes the weight of it off of us, and he picks it up removes it from us, and he bears it for us. It's like you trying to lift a heavy, heavy object, and you're straining, and someone else comes along, and they help you, and they get under there with you, and they pick that heavy thing up even to a point where you are no longer straining or Feel the pressure of it. And he carries it. 
away from you and places it where you would have it to be. And God does that with our sin through Jesus Christ. He comes alongside, bears under us, picks it up, takes the weight of it off of us, takes the guilt, the shame off of us. And he carries it. That sets us free. And he carries it and removes it from us and puts them in the deepest ocean as far as the east is from the west to remember them no more. And I don't have to live in my past. All of us have a bright future in Jesus Christ if we look to it. And that's what he wants me to look to. The future, the plans that he has for me, not my past. And he goes on in that verse 4, he said, Surely he took our infirmities and carried our sorrows. He carried them. He took them off of us. And he carries my sorrows. He carries my guilt, my shame. He carries my sin far, far away. And he says, yet we considered him stricken by God. Now, what does that mean? This is God's plan for Christ. That's why Christ said, I come to do the work of my father. This is my father's plan. This is our plan for you. And we're going to work this plan in your life. And I'm going to be obedient unto my father. And I'm going to get next to you. And I'm going to come under. And I'm going to bear that load. And I'm going to pick it up off of you. Because that's my father's will. That's what my father would have me to do. That is the work that he's given me to do. That you might be saved. Lord who's going to believe that? That somebody else is going to carry my guilt, my sin, my wrong, that I might be free of it, and that I might have eternal life and have peace with you and an inward peace inside? Who's going to believe that message? Only those who God's strong arm reveals it. And he says, Yet we consider him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. Not so much man doing the affliction, but this is what God permitted. This is what God the Father allowed. The suffering of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that we might be free from the punishment for the wages of sin is death and he tasted death for each and every one of us who will come to him. He was afflicted for us. The beating he took was our beating. No human being could have withstood the beating that Christ took on our behalf. No man could have lived under such treatment, such torture, such pain. No ordinary human being 
would have ever made it to the cross or, or even carried a cross any distance, being beaten the way Christ was beaten. He was stricken by God. I don't understand that. I would never allow my son to be afflicted for you. I'm not going to allow my son to be beaten for you. Even if you were innocent, I wouldn't allow my son to suffer for you. And that's what puzzles us as human beings about this wonderful God, this magnificent God who allows his son to take on a body that will experience the punishment that I should receive for my sin, that it would go upon him. And that's why the body is necessary for Jesus. That in a sense, he would take my whooping from the Father. He would take my beating. He would take my punishment. And it says that they were stricken by God. God allowed it. God permitted it. God planned it. And that's going to be a little hard for us to understand it. That God himself allowed his son to suffer in such a manner for us. That's, that's something. Despised, rejected, forsaken. But yet here is that punishment that is there. Go to Genesis chapter 12. It's a punishment that God then himself places on. Or God allows. In Genesis 12 and verse 17. It says, But the Lord inflicted serious diseases. On who? On Pharaoh. God allowed it. God did it. God permitted it. These diseases that came upon people. You could say they were innocent people. They were just following the orders of Pharaoh. They were just doing what uh, they would do at that time as non-believers. Should they have suffered in such a manner? God made the call. God did it. Man then was plunged under the diseases, the plagues that came, were all ordained by God. This is that loving God we talk about. But what God was trying to do was to reveal himself to Egypt as a very powerful God. And they chose to reject him. Today, many things are happening in our world. And my question to myself, and sometimes me and my wife talk about it, is God trying to reveal himself to an unbelieving world? Is God trying to show us what an ungodly world looks like, a, a country or a world that does not acknowledge him, that rejects him, that will not hear him or listen to him, who despises him, 
Is God trying to reveal to us man left to himself would destroy himself? Boy, that's something to think about. Is God at work? In Egypt, the question we had been, is the God of Moses at work? Is the God of the Jews at work? Is the God of Israel at work? The gods I'm believing in, are they real or false? None of them can stop the God of Israel. Let me share something with you. No matter how bad it may get in America, nothing is going to stop the strong arm of God of revealing truth to those who want to know truth. If you really want to know the Lord Jesus Christ, you will see the strong arm of God. And he will reveal his truth to you. He will do that. And you will know that it's from God. Go to First Samuel chapter 6. Because the thing is for us to really know that this is from God. And, uh, and, and that God is at work. And what he's aligned to happen to Jesus is that he has plunged Jesus into this. And this is why he gave him this body, that it might be beaten, that it might suffer, that it might be able to take on the pains of man. The sufferings of man, the understanding of man. Internalized him. And love man through it all. In 6 you have the return of the ark. And the Philistines want to get this ark back to the Jewish people. Back to Israel. Based on the very fact that the plagues and the things that are coming to them from God. Because they have the ark. And the ark is in the wrong place. And uh, they build this new cart. And and get these... uh, uh, cows that have never drawn an ark or a, a cart, and they're going to say, let them go on their own. And if they go this way, it's of God. If they go this way, then the plagues that we have suffered or the things that we have suffered, they were not from God. And they're trying to determine whether it's from God or it's just something of a flute and something just happened. So in verse 9, it says, but keep watch, keep watching it, keep watching to see which way the oxen are going to go. You just watch. If it goes up to its own territory towards Bath Shemesh, he said, oh boy, then what came upon us came from the Lord. If it goes the other way, it's not. And he says, just keep watch. See if the oxen takes the ark back to its proper owners, in a sense, back to Israel. And he simply said, 
Take the ark in verse 8 of the Lord and put it on the cart and in a chest beside it put the golden objects you are sending back to him as a guilt offering. Send it on its way. But keep watching it. Keep your eyes on it. It goes up to its own territory. Sometime you and I just need to sit and watch and see what God is doing. Boy, that's important. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Don't lose sight of him. Know when he's working. And understand this. Everybody else around you may not know what's going on. But you just keep watching. And you see what God will do in your life. He says, just keep watching. And they go up to the territories towards Bathshemish. Then the Lord has brought this great disaster on us. God has did this. God has brought this great disaster upon us. But if it does not, then we will know that it was not his hand that struck us. God brings affliction upon people. And he afflicted his son on our behalf to pay for our sins. The punishment that I should have received for my sins, Christ took it on my behalf. The sin and the punishment that you should receive for your sin, Christ has already taken it on your behalf. And that's why it says that he was stricken by God. That's why it's not about how good you can be. It's about if you will believe this, that Christ has taken your sins upon himself to Calvary. And there he died in your place as a substitution of you yourself being there. And Isaiah says, who's going to believe this? That somebody else would die for me or die for my sin. Who is going to believe this? In verse 5, and we're ready to close out here, he says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was pierced for our transgression. I want to give you three piercings that took place that Christ suffered through. One was the crown that was put upon his head. Those thorns will pierce, will cut into the flesh. There's there's a tree, I don't know the name of it, but it has these real sharp thorns on it. And it's a tree, and they're like needlepoint. And boy, they they don't break easy, and they're hard. And they will penetrate. And here Christ had something similar to that, that they pushed down on his head. And blood comes forth. First piercing. The second piercing. 
when they nailed him to the cross. The hands, the wrist area, and then the feet. That he was pierced for you and I. He suffered on that cross for you and I. He died on that cross for you and I, for our sins. Who would believe such foolishness? And yet it's the plan of God. It's the miraculous work of God to bring redemption and salvation to us. To be able to forgive us that we could have a right to step into his throne room anytime and talk with him. Christ took my sin and your sin to Calvary. Isaiah is saying, who's going to believe this, Lord? That one man would die for the world. That one man would take all the sorrows, all the pains. Who would believe this? And the third piercing is when they pierced him in the side. And I gash water. But he was pierced to see if he was dead, or to make sure that he was dead. But those three piercings were for us, their own cavalry. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was pierced all three times because of my sins, the thorns, the, the nailing, the spear. It was for our sins that he was pierced. Not for his own, for he knew no sin. It was for nothing that he himself had done. But it was for you and I. It was for you and I. For 1 John 3, 5 says, In him is no sin. In him is no sin. And the scripture tells us that. Yet, this innocent man dies for us, Jesus. And then it says, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment was bought us peace. Catch that. The punishment that bought us peace. The plan that God had was to punish his son that you and I might be at peace with him. Who's going to believe that? That somebody would punish their own child, their own flesh and blood, that the enemy might be at peace with them. Who's going to believe that report, God? But it's true. And I'm so glad that it is true. That I could be forgiven of my sins. Because of what Christ did in my place. And becoming the substitute for me. 
that I would not have to taste those painful things of death. Because there's no way I could have lived through the beating that he took. Or the thorns placed upon his head. What he went through in this life, I doubt any man could have even went through a fraction of it. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. Theologically, that has been one of the biggest debates and things that have taken place sometime in Christianity because there are those who believe that this is only talking about spiritual healing. It's talking about just being made right with God. It has nothing to do with being healed in the body, although they will say and continue to say, God can heal, but this is not it. This is only the spiritual healing. Once you put the word atonement upon this, these verses that we have read, it is in the atonement that Christ makes for us that we receive everything from God, whether it's physical healing or spiritual healing. It is by the atonement we receive all that God will ever, ever bless us with because of the atoning work of Jesus Christ who makes it possible. So I believe not only am I made whole spiritually, but I am made whole physically for as long as I'm here that God wants me to do his work. He will keep my body in such a way that I can function for his glory and his praise. He is the one who heals me through the atoning work of Jesus Christ. We can debate over a lot of issues, but we have to understand that everything we receive as Christians, every blessing we receive, every healing we receive, the prosperity we may receive, the wisdom and knowledge that we receive, the gifts of the Holy Spirit that we receive, the kindness that is shown us by God. All that we receive comes through the atoning work of Jesus Christ. Him going to Calvary for us. For we are healed by his wounds. Go to 1 Peter 2.24 with me and we'll close here because like I said, this has been a huge debate in Christianity and it will continue to be. 
based on different denominational views and so forth. But I want you to know that I just believe that all that we receive comes through the atoning work of Jesus Christ. Whether it be the spiritual healing or the physical healing. Christ has paid the price for me to receive whatever I receive from the hands of God. So in First Peter in chapter 2 and verse 24, let me get my eyes straightened out here. He says, he himself bore our sins in his bodies. Now he bore our sins. What does that mean? He bore our sins. Well, in the garden, there was no sickness. Adam and Eve did not, as we know, have any afflictions upon them that came through sin. After the fall of man, man begins to die from sicknesses and ailments. If sin is the cause of sickness and he dies for sin, would not that also be that he's dying for my healing? Not just the spiritual, but the whole individual. Because we often say we live in a fallen world and we blame sickness that we have, cancer, diabetes, blindness, whatever it is. We blame it on the issue that we live in a fallen world. A world filled with sin. And therefore we can be afflicted by it. But if God allowed Christ to die for my sin, did he not also die for my healing? Did he not also die for every blessing that I would receive from the Lord? Did not he die that although I may not be healed of something that I might experience, that the grace of God is sufficient for me for that hour and for that time and for that season. See, Christ, the atoning death of Christ, covers it all in my mind. And I believe it's through the atoning death of Christ that I receive Everything from God that God wants me to have and to enjoy in this life. He himself bore our sins. He did it. In his body on the tree. What? Calvary. The crucifixion on the tree. So that we might die to what? Sin. Sin. That causes all these griefs, all these problems, a lot of these sicknesses. And yes, 
the failure of man brought on this, this decaying body, this body that would die of some disease, even if it's the failure of the heart or stroke. And it says, and lives for righteousness by his wounds you have been healed. By his wounds I have been healed. Not just spiritually. For Christ did not just die, as some agnostics would say, just for the spiritual side. I believe he died for this total person. I believe he died for you, the total person, that you would be whole in him. And you would live a holy and righteous life in him. Well, I'm a little bit over my time, and I want to thank you for being patient with me. I hope somehow that something was said that would encourage you to really consider where you are with Christ. If you've never accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, would you pray and ask him to come into your life and become Lord of your life and to forgive you of your sins? And if you are a backslidden Christian, would you stop putting Christ to shame by the way in which you live? And begin to live in such a way that truly glorifies him. Because Christ died for you. And it is your reasonable service that you would live for him. Father, we thank you and praise you, Lord, for your loving kindness unto us. And I ask, O oh God, that you would work a work that only you yourself are able to do. And Lord, will give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. See you next week. God bless.